All right, this is DA. I'm Reg Clay. Usually I would have Norman G on, but Norman is uh, busy with the, the kids studying and uh, and getting them ready for their show. But I have a fantastic guest, Joyce DeMonico. Ha! Huh. How are you, Joyce? I'm great. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. Boy, I love that name. Oh. Uh, the last name. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. It's like, huh. What am I doing with my life now? Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the, uh, and uh, my theme song are basically, um, they're usually, they're usually uh, funk songs, and usually in these funk songs in the 70s, yeah. somebody usually goes, ha! Yeah, I know, <laughs> exactly. It's like, huh, huh? I actually, have a, I have a lot of friends who you'd be like, Joyce, Joyce, and I turn around and go, huh? And so it's something that I used to do when I was a no, kid. No, no, it's fun. But yeah, yeah. So, but like, I mean, the reason why I ended up inheriting all, like, a whole bunch of extra letters is because I merged it with my husband's last name. So, yeah. Um, and then when we got married, um, we both decided to make that our surname. Also, because it has more of a ring to it to have huh at the end. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like a pragmatic choice in Demonico, that way. huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it's 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 almost uh, lyrical. It's it's very nice. Thank you. So, in any case, <laughs> Joyce Demonico, huh? You are an actress. I saw you on stage. Um, Doing uh, Olivia's Kitchen, which is an adaptation of Twelfth Night that was at the Generation Theater. And now you are doing um, Sister Act. Yes. Uh, at <laughs> Theater Rhino. Yes. It's actually at the old Eureka Theater. That's right. Um, which right, is I now uh, the Gateway Theater. Yes. I just noticed actually your, your W. Does Dallas poster is like done at the same theater. Exactly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I've done a lot of shows at the Eureka. Um, the, the, um, I used to be with a group called Easton's Repertory, and our home theater was the Eureka. So I've been naked. <laughs> we, uh, we did uh, statements, uh, a Fugard piece, which uh, both man and woman are naked. It was a South African apartheid piece, oh. and that was done at the Eureka, and uh, we've done a bunch of things. Uh, Sick Wonder of the World was done at the Eureka, so I have wonderful memories. It's amazing how, as an actor, you, if, you've done a th- if you've done a bunch of shows at one particular theater house, it's almost like home. Oh, really? It's just like way. a comforting feeling. For sure. I mean, um, I mean we've only been in that space since monday but mm-hmm. i mean it's i already feel like i live there yeah yeah, yeah. and then we open tonight so ah that's right yes, yeah, are, yeah. You, are you guys having a lot of fun so much fun yes yeah, yeah. oh my gosh the cast is incredible mm-hmm. i mean everyone should come and see brandon noel thomas yeah. um he's playing dolores or they're playing dolores and yeah. um yeah, they, they flew up from Vegas to do this. Wow, that's yes, fantastic. And, and how's working with A.J. Mitchell? Now, A.J., I wrote a musical called Nia, and he was the director of that. And uh, A.J. was absolutely fantastic. Uh, and, and, I, and I've been on stage with him uh, doing uh, 110 in the Shade. Oh, it's, yeah. They're, they're a total honor to work with. Um, you, you know, I, I auditioned for Sister Act last uh, December, and mm-hmm. it was just kind of in a place in my life where I was just like auditioning for everything. Sure. And never had auditioned for a musical before, but it's sister act, right? It's mm-hmm. like, okay, like got to go audition for this like super cool opportunity. Um, and surprisingly got cast. Be- you know, I say surprisingly because I, because I have zero musical theater experience. Do you sing? Um, I, I sing, but it's all like car singing, you know, I'm not <laughs> So, um, so I was just kind of surprised like, okay. And, and then it, it dawned on me it's because it's so important to AJ to make sure that there's diverse bodies and representation on that stage. Yeah, yeah. And um, every single person that's part of this cast, like, brings um, their own way of doing it, you know. Yeah. And it's it feels staunchly like an SF show. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
it's really amazing to see how their brain works. I mean, because they're also they also choreographed mm -hmm. on top of directing, and um, it's I, I'm not gonna lie, it's been quite the haul for me to try to learn some of this choreo because it's also like my first time kind of like doing like syncopated movements and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but I I'm going to be eternally grateful. I mean, I already am, but like when I reflect on all of this, like. I'm just eternally grateful for the experience, uh, for like just ha having been given the chance. One of my um, one of my buddies, uh, Brian Munar, he was saying like, think of this as like, you know, free musical theater training. It's like boot camp or something <laughs> for me, you know. Yeah, and I, I really yeah. do feel like a fish out of water at times. Mm -hmm. However, um, I I feel like I have found my my ownness, right? Like in the mm -hmm. in the characters that I'm playing, I'm playing the Monsignor of the Church. Um, a gangster, mm. and also part of the non-ensemble, and like a brief moment, I'm a cop. And so, wow. yeah, so there's like a lot of that. Yeah, well, it shows a lot of flexibility. I can't wait to, do it, to uh, see it. I think I, now I mean, I, we're about to go into Tech Week for Women on the Verge of Nervous Breakdown, so, yeah. and that opens uh, June the 1st, and it closes June the 22nd, so hopefully in between that time. We were talking off mic that it's the tragedy with actors where, you know, I tell an actor friend, hey, you got to see my show. And they're like, no, 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 I'm in a show. You got to see my show. <laughs> I know. It's like we, I mean, and we truly want to be at two places at once. You right, know? right. But, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm really starting to get a taste for, like, how, um, how difficult it is, you know, to kind of manage both. But, like, you always are sending, like, the good vibes, and, and it's coming from a sincere place, of course, you know. Oh, sure. Well, I'm yeah. saying, I think actors understand. I mean, of course, there can be some bitterness, like, gee, you never come to my shows, but everyone's busy. Yeah. And we've talked about how in the age of gentrification, you just guess, just can't have one show. You've got to keep moving, and you got to keep – if you're a working actor, you got to keep getting paid. For sure, yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, at, I'd also like to um, shout out mm -hmm. um, a few people sure. from, from the show. Um, the musical director is Tammy Lynn Hawkins, mm -hmm. who um, she's a resident um, jazz pianist for SF Jazz. Incredible, like mm. just like a a legendary like figure here, um, mm. especially like in the music scene. And so she she's been doing all the music. Her and um, Jay and Kevin. Um, are part, but there's like a live band backstage. That nice. Kevin plays bass, Dre mm -hmm. plays the drums, and and Tammy does the piano. And I mean, it sounds like it's like a full orchestra, you know? They're kind of making sure that we're all in sync. Mm -hmm. Music is just beautiful, singing is incredible. Um, and yeah, I just feel like I, I feel very, very supported by, by at least like a couple of the cast members Jasmine Robinson. Mm -hmm. Abe Baldonado. Yeah. Abe is like the 17 year old kid who, um, happens to look like an identical version of my husband, which is really funny. Ah. And he's also playing one of my fellow henchmen, and he has just taken the time to show me all of the moves. It's like I'm just learning how to dance from, like, the 17-year-old kid in a way, you know? Hey, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. It's, um, yeah it's, it's, just been, it's just been an incredibly, like, instructive experience for me, you know, mm -hmm. just to understand, like, what goes into musical theater. And sure. Because I had no freaking idea, you yeah. know? yeah. <laughs> But it's uh, – now I know. I understand, like, yeah, what – how they have to manage all of those technicalities, right? Mm -hmm. Singing, dancing, doing those things at the same damn time on top of, like, knowing – transitioning into lines and mm -hmm. changing out of characters and getting into that character. And 
um, I just have the utmost respect for just musical theater in general. Yeah, you know, when I came out of uh, one of the classes that we had in school was like, you know, auditioning and having all of your uh, like three minute songs and you got to have a comic, a comedic song or a fast song or a slow song, that sort of stuff. And also acting. And we've had a bunch of singers on and they've talked about how they were singers, you know, classically trained singers who had to transition into acting to sort of, you know, broaden their horizons to, you know, sort of get jobs and whatever. And the art of acting while singing. Yes. Um, it's funny, I, and I've mentioned this before, when I did Candide uh-huh, wow. uh, at the Douglas Morrison Theater, which was a wonderful experience. We had Mike Muhammad on who directed that. And we had a mix of opera singers who had never acted before and us, you know, run-of-the-mill actors who had to learn how to sing in an operatic manner. <laughs> and that was uh, very, very tough. And, you know, of course, we had incredible singers who had to learn about beats and motivations and stuff. And then we had to learn how, you know, how to hold on to our breath and how to sustain yes. the notes and all of that sort of stuff. Yes. Like, there's yeah. so much going on all at once that um, I just had no idea when I was only doing plays, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. But... Now, like, I, I really understand, like, how every single person that's part of Sister Act right now is part of AJ's vision. AJ has, like, a vision that's just beyond what we as, like, the ensemble are able to really mm-hmm. see. And now we have, like, I feel like we really have matched that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I now know, like, you know, what my roles are, like, within all of this. Sure. And it feels like such an honor to yeah. be there. I'm so glad that John Fisher has allowed AJ. I can tell that AJ has uh, has become... Uh, you know, a significant part of Theater Rhino because oh, right. uh, he's, yeah. he's been given a lot of opportunities. I can, I can see him being in the future the artistic director of either that or some other organization. So I'm Easily. really glad. Yeah. Easily. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible all the things that they do. You mm-hmm. know, I, I, I just really have the utmost respect for them. And, yeah. And, I mean, it's the, the shows have been so well, well received. I even saw people from we, we were performed on friday night and they showed up again on saturday night Wow, right yes on. yeah that's, that's because the music is seriously that good yeah and so i'm i'm looking forward we got about maybe 12 more performances mm-hmm. so i am pumped it's gonna be fun that's gonna be fun <laughs> and of course we'll have links to that you know people should see it and you know every time we do the yay we always have a link to not only to the podcast but also the shows that people can go to see and we'll talk more about that um I want to talk a little bit about current events. So yesterday we had a guy, um, Shay Angela Aceveda, and we started talking about the horrible um, uh, law that was passed in Alabama uh, on abortion. And, of course, I was saying to myself as we were doing the podcast yesterday, okay, these are three black men talking about women's rights. We've got to have a woman in here. Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel? I mean, I don't know if you have a thought at all about, um, of course, this is happening in Alabama. You know, we don't live in Alabama, so we may feel insulated. Right. But you get the feeling that this could easily happen in other parts of the country, and it may invade Roe v. Wade. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's the whole goal, right? Yeah, I yeah. mean, these politicians are trying to <laughs> revisit yeah. that. and Because mm-hmm. that also happened in Georgia, from yeah. my understanding, yeah. right? And that... I heard recently David Simon was put a call out to all directors mm-hmm. saying, please don't shoot anything in Georgia, you know, because it just boycott, you know, filming in Georgia went where a lot of a lot of stuff yeah. gets filmed there. Yeah. Um, because it does not. We need to protect our women. Yeah. You know? yeah that's and, exactly right. And you know, to send like an overall message. You know, it's when I, when I consider what is happening, it's not a matter of these politicians. Um, <laughs> it's not a matter of like 
them not understanding where women are coming from. It's, 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 I don't, because if it happened to their own daughters yeah. or like their own wives or whoever, you know, yeah. females that are important to their lives, sure. they will do anything they can to get, get, them, get an abortion for them. I have, I have a personal question for you. You know, as when I was growing up, in high school, and of course, you know, we're getting. Well, I, mean, I had my first date when I was 15 years old, and of course, my parents didn't talk to me about. They talked a little bit about be careful, and no one gave me a condom or anything like that. But I imagine women or girls, as they're growing up, do have some sort of a conversation. Did did your parents give you any sort of a conversation about? Hey, you need to be careful with you know how you handle yeah. yourself or whatever. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Not really. I mean, I, I think they just kind of relied on, like, school education to kind of do that job for yeah, yeah. for that, you know. And also, like, culturally, like, you know, I'm Korean and um, mostly raised by my mom. And so, like, I think she just was, like, not really <laughs> sensitive to those things. Just, yeah. like, on a cultural level, you don't really talk about sex. Yeah. Um, except, like, as a grown-up now, you know. Like, she oh, might just sure. be like, you know, oh, b- because also recently I um, – well, recently I got off birth control. Because of, okay. yes. Now, that's something you didn't have to. Yes, I know. I know I didn't have to say that out loud. Okay. But I guess it was just like, I think that the reason why I wanted to share that is mm-hmm. because I, it was doing like a lot of like wacky things to my body. And so now like I'm at this place where it's like, I don't really know if I want kids. Um, I'm 32. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just trying to decide like if that is something that. I even want for my life. I have a brother with special needs, and okay. so that kind of informs like sure. a lot of like why mm-hmm. I um, don't really know if I want children of my own. Yeah. Um, and but, but I'm but sure it's something that you've discussed with your husband. Yes, indeed, and and he's incredibly supportive. You know, but the reason why I'm mentioning this is because um, we just need maybe to talk more about men maybe getting vasectomies as a result, you know? You know, uh, yeah, and uh, <laughs> on CNN, it's funny you mentioned that, but there was a guy, um, let's see, I, I bet I can find it real quick because uh, I just saw it just a few seconds ago. But he basically, uh, he had a vasectomy, and it was, um, I think he actually had it filmed. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> well, I mean, he, I mean, I can okay, see. Okay, that seems really edgy. Here, here he is right now. Oh, well, okay. my, my oh, my gosh. I decided to get a vasectomy. Oh, okay. This is W. Kwamu Kamau Bell. Oh, W. Kamau Bell. Yeah, yeah, w. He's, Kamau a, Bell. yeah he's like a real like local, <laughs> yeah. like, huge public figure. Yeah, well, he, that's does, hilarious. he does a show, I United mean, Shades of America. Yes, okay. And I think the conversation was, hey, listen, if we, if, if we know we're not going to have children, but we want to have sex and not worry about you know condoms or whatever, and I have a dedicated partner and I don't have to worry about STDs or whatever, then... Why not? Why is it always on the women? You know, every time you hear about birth control or whatever, it's always about the pill or an IUD or, you know, something stuck on, you know, a woman's body or whatever. But the onus is always on the woman, not the man. Exactly. Which is it's a problem. Right. Exactly. Because, I mean, yeah. Well, I just wanted to also say the reason why I said it was hilarious yeah. is because there's a screenshot that's in front of, <laughs> of me right now yeah. where he's just like lying on an operation table. <laughs> wow, there's and this guy like poking so something personal. on him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and <laughs> it just looks like doom and gloom. But yeah, but yeah I mean, I th- like why is that not part of the conversation, right? And it's yeah. because they don't want men to have the side effects that all the women have been experiencing. I've been on birth control for like eight years, and it really started doing some screwy things to my body. Yeah. You know, and, and now it's like, okay, like I, I'm kind of recalibrating and yeah. I'm feeling 
even though I kind of feel like a little nuts sometimes, like mm-hmm. I do feel like I am more me. Yeah. And there's some sort of clarity that kind of comes through just like being myself. Mm-hmm. And so now like, you know, yes, I'm, of course it's like a personal thing between me and my husband. Right. But it, I think it's also important to share that, that, you know, that this is like a reality. Right. And mm-hmm. that if we don't want to get pregnant and if we don't, um, if we don't want to be on birth control, then what the hell are the other options? Exactly. And once again, why is it always on the woman? I remember mm-hmm. a, a while back, I think it was maybe 20 years ago, there was a controversy within the black community about Norplant. Have you heard about Norplant before? Yes. Norplant was in, um, I guess the, if it was, um, I don't know if it was FDA approved. but yeah, it goes it was in your a, arm. It goes in your arm. Yes. But it was having all sorts of crazy side effects for women, especially poor women, mm-hmm. um, who I guess they were testing this on. Mm-hmm. And a lot of women had to have it removed. And I think even some malfunctioned and women got pregnant. It anyway. Yikes. Yeah. I had something in my arm called the next plan on. And Ooh. yeah, it was, um, and it kind of made me feel like this like bionic person, you know, mm-hmm. but like, at, like we're talking, like I had a period for like two months. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so it's like, that's just like completely abnormal, you know? So then mm-hmm. I, but that was like my last shot. I went through all of, I went through the whole slate of like BC that you could be on. Yeah. And that was like the last, I mean, went through the IUD and everything. That didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Got the, you know, next plan on. That didn't work. And yeah. now it's like I'm not on anything. And mm-hmm. I'm, it's like I'm really, it, it was like I immediately kind of feel like back to normal. And it's not for me to kind of feel like I'm advocating for like not being on birth control or anything. Like I just, I'm just advocating for do whatever works for you. Yeah. And and women should just, I mean, w- women should just kind of be free to do whatever they want, honestly. It's just. A- absolutely. Yeah. And men need to step up. You know, if you yeah. love someone, if you love, of course, we're speaking purely heterosexual. Yeah. Uh, but if a man loves a woman, then why not take the sacrifice? Why not put the onus on yourself if you don't? Because a lot of times a woman has to do all these things because a man usually says, hey, I don't want to use a condom because it just feels, you know, whatever, which is. A bunch of crap, you know, um, but a man needs to take onus on himself. Right. What do I do? Let me take some pressure off of her. What am I going to do to make things right? You know, but what that would entail, Reg, is like a much more nuanced conversation. Absolutely. And I think that's what's circling back to what you were saying about like Alabama. Yeah. Right? And just that's what's going on. It's, mm-hmm. the, it, it's almost like an NRA stance to things, right? Yeah, Where yeah. it's like the easiest thing for the NRA to do is just be like, you know, we need to keep our guns no matter what. Sure. Because if you if you do the reverse, right? If we talk about gun gun control and all of those things, that's right. Then it's so much more nuanced and complicated. No one even wants to go there. I feel like it's it. They're approaching this situation the same way. Mm-hmm. It's the easiest thing to say. You know, pro life, pro life, right? Or, yeah. Yeah, and just well, it becomes very football. It's almost like you yes. know, um, Alabama versus Auburn, or right. the Knicks versus the Lakers, or something like that. Right. Us versus them. Where, you know, we're all the United States of America. And um, if, I mean, you know, it it, it deals with women's rights and it also gets into, well, there's also class. I mean, you know, there are, you know, you mentioned it before. If you're wealthy, then you can decide to, you know, fly your child off to, you know, some place to get an abortion and all that sort of stuff. But what do poor people do? Exactly. And especially when you talk about people who are raped, I mean, women who are raped or deals or incest, Mm -hmm. you know, these topics we don't want to talk about. Um, it gets, it's, it's, we can, we can move on to something else, well, but I'm, sure. I was, I'm glad to hear, you know, that perspective and thank you for being so, you oh. know, forthright. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for, thanks for giving me the platform, I guess. I know it was, <clears throat> wasn't really anticipating to kind of go into that territory, but I guess it, you know, it, it, you know, it makes sense though that I brought it up because it is something that, you know, I would. 
that would impact me if I were living in one of those states, right? And then yeah, um, and also like you know that that idea, right, of mm-hmm. like what that abortion law kind of does. Like I actually that that idea it can be put in more much more articulately um, by a public figure named Lindy West, who I mm-hmm. just I I adore her writing, and yeah. she can speak more to that probably. But yeah, um, yeah, that's. That's kind of my stance. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, one broad question I usually ask everyone, yeah. um, how when, you know, a lot of this would not even be uh, an issue if they weren't a Brett Kavanaugh, because I think Brett Kavanaugh has altered the Supreme Court, which is allowing these mm-hmm. Republican or conservative activists to push these laws in. But none of this would have happened if Trump hadn't been elected. How did you feel when Trump got elected and how are you living in the age of Trump? Oh my gosh, Reg. <laughs> How do you think I'm going to respond to that? I mean, it's like... I never know. Yeah. Well, I, I never know what, what people say. Okay. Well... Well, how, how well, did, you, perfect, did, did it shock you when he got elected? Well, of course. Yeah. It was like one of like the worst nights of my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really, really hard. And the next day, you know, uh, I was working... I was working at a, at a school um, that, you know, I'm, work, I'm a speech pathologist in my day job. Okay. Yeah, so... Work, worked at was working at the school um, yeah. for for students who have mobility issues as, mm-hmm. as well. So mm-hmm. it's like there is no day off or anything. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure like for every educator, right? It's like you got to just show up. Yeah. So many people want to take the day off after that, right? Yeah. Um, but showing up and especially working with like these, I was working at like a preschool at the mm-hmm. time, and they're just like around like these preschool students and teachers and I were just like tearing up and yeah. these kids are just kind of like okay like they've got no idea they, sure, they're they just oblivious. Think, yeah they're just like let's go through our morning routines you know and which I also feel like I think that was important for for me to kind of go through to have things kind of unfold that way right yeah. you're talking about what it was like right after I found out like about that election or whatnot you know um, yeah. it's You, life just kind of keeps moving on. Like you, in a way, sometimes I feel like politically, when we're especially when we're talking about politics, like mm-hmm. on Facebook or out in the sphere out here in the Bay, it's like everyone is everyone is like pretty radical, pretty progressive. We all have like the same kind of ideas, you mm-hmm. know. Um, yeah. And but and and I remember like within like like the, the first like six months, I was just like glued to like NPR and just like would be like. All I would hear, like, in, especially, like, in the morning would be, like, news, news about crazy things that were happening, like, immigration bans that were happening all of a sudden, mm-hmm. right? And and then, like, I would have to shut down because I would be, have, to have to work through through the school hours. And then by the time afternoon hit, it's, like, completely different news. So, like, things were crazy turbulent. Sure, and, sure. And, I mean, they still are right yeah, now. Yeah, But look at us. We're all surviving. Yeah. And in a way, I do feel like art has – just like on like a broad scale, right? I mean, yeah. it's just become so much more socio-culturally informed. Yeah, I've seen a lot more activist um, pieces, more artists writing directly addressing what's happening now. Like I'm involved with, I think um, in the future, Town Hall Theater will do an adaptation of Bertolt Brecht's uh, Fear and Misery in the Third Reich. Yes. and But detailing... Instead of talking about the Nazi regime, talking about the Trump regime. And I've submitted two pieces as well, so hopefully wow. that will be in the future. Yeah. But in, in essentially, I'm asking you because, you know, um, I've had – sure, San Francisco is very, very um, liberal, and uh, we have – you know, we, they're progressives, and 
you know, uh, Norman is even, you know, way, way lefter than I am. Uh, I'm very left as well. Uh I mean, I I believe I've I've always been a Democrat, Mm -hmm. but I've had friends uh, like I had an Asian friend of mine who was married to a white guy and who voted for Trump. Oh, yikes. And um, she sort of (laughs) laughed it off. And it's like, well, yeah, he's that way. But I've always wondered um, because I've. I don't want to stereotype, but um, th- th- some may say that, you know, th- in the Asian community, th- there's a conservativeness. Oh, you know, I do think that that comes from, like, a lot of, like, having to protect themselves as, you know, as a race, right? Sure. It's always going to be better to try to historically align yourself, you know, or, like, or like just so- socially sure. align yourself, right, yeah. with white people because, mm-hmm. like, then you, won't, you don't get targeted. Sure. And, it's, and I feel like maybe that is why there are a lot of Asians who won't speak up to, like, Black Lives Matter, right? Sure. Or, like, to others to say, oh, it doesn't affect me yeah. until it starts targeting them. Right. Right? And so – when you when you remove like those labels and you mm-hmm. just start seeing people as freaking human beings, that's like, right. With, like what would what would you do if that happened to you? Right, right. Then, um, it, it to me honestly, all of this is because of like systemic white oppression. Like that truly is like what has gotten us to kind of pit, you know, races against each other. While sure. while like you know the white system is like a fly on the wall, watching the whole freaking thing happen. Yeah, you know, watching like these like ethnic groups like duke it out. You know. Yeah. It's yeah, it's it's funny. Um, our guest yesterday, um, Acevedo, he Angelo, he was talked about how, and I had posted him a question. He was like, you know, um, I had a I had a debate with a, um, a white uh, female friend of mine, and she was like, why why did Hillary Clinton didn't win the nomination? Why did it have to be Barack Obama? You know, why is it the woman has to step, you know, be second fiddle to, you know, a man, even a black man. Mm-hmm. And Angelo had put it absolutely best. It's like we're both trying to you have both a lot of groups trying to gain a favor. And there's usually a white individual, either the president or I don't know, a mayor or whatever, mm-hmm. making the decision. Mm-hmm. And that has to change. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, for sure. Are, are you optimistic about the new election 2020? Next year will be very interesting. It will be really interesting. You know, right now I'm still just trying to navigate, like, who is my person, right? Like, sure. who I'm going to be rooting for. I recently learned about a candidate named Marianne Williamson. Mm. And um, she's just about radical, just like, just kind of radically, like, changing, you know, the system in a way from the ground up. Mm-hmm. There we go. Is Marianne that her? Williamson. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah. Marianne Williamson is and a she, lefty with soul. At least that's what the New York Magazine says. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> okay. I, I'm, I'm interested in her platform, you know, mm-hmm. where I know a lot of people say like, oh, she's not going to have like a snowball's chance in hell, you know, mm-hmm. but it's just important to keep, especially this early on, I think it's really important to keep supporting figures Mm -hmm. who are going to speak to your values sure um and she's just all about like the system is just screwed up like say you come say you do have like a politician that's going to have a ton of experience Mm -hmm. and they come in and they i mean it's just going to be the same anyway you know i mean yeah i um and we really should get into an origin story because we're getting way into Oh, the, uh, gosh, I know, I know, I know. But no, 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 yeah. it's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation. Um, it's, it's fascinating. I'm, I worry about the Republican Party because there used to be, and I've talked about this before, there used to be a moderate Republican Party. They used to be called um, Rockefeller Republicans. They weren't racist. They weren't homophobic. 
Um, maybe they were misogynistic, but they really were all about the money. It's mm-hmm. like, listen, we need to control the economy and not have big government and let the businesses you know, handle themselves. It's part of the old Gilded Age from the early um, the, uh, the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you had the antebellum Southerner Democrats who were still – you know, uh, they were still caught up in, you know, the, the slavery of the 1860s. And then, huh. of course, when um, the, uh, the 13th Amendment was passed, then they became all about segregation. Yep. And then in 1968, when, you know, when the Civil Rights Act, Act passed in 64, these uh, white Southern Democrats all turned Republican and voted for Nixon. <laughs> and that became the extreme wing exactly. of the Republican Party. Right. And that's the party that sort of dominates right now. It's been it's been uh, a politics of extremes. Exactly. Whether you have extreme rights who are voting for Trump and propelling Trump, and then you have the extreme left, let's say Bernie folks and, and mm-hmm. other folks who are who, who have all these other um, I don't I don't know if you want to call extreme or you know or socialism or what have you, but it sounds like the moderates are just being pushed away, pushed to the side. For sure. And it's because of, like, these kind of extreme parties, extremism, right, Mm -hmm. that, like, you know, we just keep getting more and more polarized and not having, like, conversations about just values. Yeah. And that, I think, is what Marianne Williamson is trying to do is just talking about, like, core human decency, Mm -hmm. centering government around values Yeah. um, instead of um, just politics. I don't really trust a lot of Democrats either, to be totally honest. Yeah, I think that was one of Hillary's problems. She probably thought, well, hey, I'm I'm sort of the majority and I'm sort of the establishment and people Mm -hmm. already know who I am. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, there's a whole new generation. Do you consider yourself a millennial or are you a part of generation (laughs) X, Y? What what do you see yourself? I mean, I guess like, you know, when I'm I'm kind of like (laughs) being, uh, yeah, kind of cheeky towards myself, I would probably identify as a millennial. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And those are the millennials who Hillary was completely out of touch with and i'm sure it shocked her you know november the 4th sure well actually well there were there were a lot of millennials that still voted for her you know i Mm -hmm. yeah um i i think that everyone became like i mean i i even ended up voting for her because it's like lesser of two evils at that point Well, it becomes binary it's like yes exactly because that's just the way our political system is set up sure but like this early on you know i i would rather just go with the person that speaks best to my values just so just to keep that in the conversation. Yeah. You know? And yeah. and it reminds me of this documentary that I just watched called uh, Knock Down the House. Right, with yes. uh, AOC, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's how you, that's how, that's your little nickname. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what we called, yeah, Norman was like AOC. I was like, yeah. who's AOC? Alexandria, of course. And of course, she was just a, uh, one among many women who came in during the midterm elections and just, you know, took over the House. That's right. Exactly. And and that's what was so powerful about that documentary was that all these women, they were they were just typical civilians. I mean, what was also amazing about the doc was that you see AOC, she was still a bartender. Like, there's, like, footage of her, like, mm-hmm. bartending and then um, campaigning, right? Yeah. Like, literally, and, of course, we all know famously she was going door to door, but, like. Sure. I mean, I mean, actually, just recently, I think yesterday, like she posted this this picture of like what she shops for as as far as groceries go, and mm-hmm. it was like all like f- like instant ramen noodles. Yeah. You know? Did you hear the story that she had a hard time finding an apartment in Washington D.C. Right. Because she, she didn't afford. have the money because yeah. she didn't take in the um, I guess big money. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's exactly you know, and and that is someone who you know is 
one of the most like successful like mm-hmm. faces that we have right now for like as far as like women in Congress. Yeah. And she's younger than you. She's twenty eight years yes, old. Yes, I know. Oh my god, I know. <laughs> it was just like it. It was so inspiring, yeah. right, to see that doc because and and of course she's the one that most famously won, <clears throat> but it features a whole bunch of other women who who tried. Yeah. And it's because you know for various personal reasons, you know, they're all doing it because they have felt so, so marginalized and put down for so long yeah. that they just cannot trust the system anymore. Absolutely, and that's one of the reasons, and not just those women, but the people who voted for those women yes. to take over the House. No, it's a fantastic story, and it makes me confident and optimistic about the 2020 election. I think that um, Trump, it was an aberration that he got in, you know, a couple of um, swing states and a couple of districts based on gerrymandering, mm-hmm. got Trump in. But a lot of people voted for Hillary Clinton, and they voted for the Democratic Party. I think this party is way more. I mean, this is still the country that voted Barack Obama in twice. Indeed. Right, right. that is true. And um, the unfortunate backlash surrounding that, right, is what we're experiencing right now. How, yeah, that, yes. that, and that shocked me. I mean, like I went into Berkeley. Um, it, was, it was a year or two years ago, and there was an alt-right rally. And oh, I was geez. like, wait a minute, and in Berkeley? Yeah, yeah. Where are these people coming from? Right. And I didn't know that these people existed, but they do. Yes. But uh, w- w- it's, it's important to have faith still. I, I, I think so. And, I mean, if if there's any sort of evidence for, like, how we have kind of galvanized to, to bring forth people that we really believe in mm-hmm. um, and voting them in. Yeah. Um, that I, I do feel like that has happened since Trump has been elected. So there's all these, like, pros and cons. I feel like, you know, the biggest pro is that we all do seem to be relatively more informed. Yeah. Um, and... Gosh, like I, I would just hope that we can carry that spirit into whoever we're going to vote in next. Absolutely. Yeah. And with that, let's get into an origin story. <laughs> Great. That sounds good. <laughs> Joyce uh, D- uh, Domonico. Is that right? That's Domonico right. Ha. Thank you. Um, so um, tell me, where where were you born? Do you have any siblings? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, born and raised in San Jose. Okay. Yeah. I've got two brothers. Okay. Um, uh, Brian and Michael. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm the oldest, uh, two younger brothers. So um, yeah. Raised by um, raised by my mom primarily. My, my dad was still in the picture, but he was mostly like kind of financially supporting us. Mm-hmm. And so my mom did a lot of the rearing. Yeah. Um, I have a young. My youngest brother has autism, mm. um, and he's high functioning. Um, yeah. So he's he goes to like a dayhab program um, for adults and mm-hmm. lives at home with my mom. I did a lot of co-parenting with my mom surrounding that, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of informs a lot of who I am as a person, my artistry as a result as well. Yeah. Um, so growing up with a brother with autism, um, I... That sounds like you had, you had to grow up very quickly. Yeah, yeah. I did. And um, I, I guess I would say that. But I also had, like, a lot of fun as a kid, too, you oh, know? Good. Yeah, I was, like, yeah. really involved with, yeah. like... Um, with school, like I, w- I was in like a school production in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Was Greece. We had put that on, and so I, and I played Rizzo. And uh, wow, th- yeah. <laughs> and, and do you remember like "Free to Be You and Me"? Like this. I remember the song. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so like they had like th- so that was like my first taste of performing was like in third grade because I sang this song called "William Has a Doll," mm. and I played William. So okay. it was like. There's, like, a lot of, like, gender-bending, like, roles yeah, that have yeah. been, like, thematic throughout my life in a way. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're about to talk about Olivia's Kitchen where you had to do that as well. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, yeah. Now, did your parents have a, have a problem with uh, – I know with my parents, they they were okay with me doing arts or whatever, but probably not as a career. I mean, did they have did your parents have any issues with you doing the theater? Um, well, I remember with performing, like, that just was never considered, like, a viable option sure. um, within – 
I don't even know if I'm speaking. I, I can speak for my family, maybe even like the larger like Asian community. There sure. was, I grew up in a predominantly Asian community, um, Cupertino to be precise. So mm-hmm. like larger part of, like it's kind of like a little suburban enclave within yeah. larger San Jose. It's like Apple City, isn't it? Isn't oh, it big Apple? time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. so what was funny is like all of the elementary, like the, ele- the elementary schools in Cupertino were always like the, they're always like part of like pilot programs for like the max, you know? Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, so we would kind of get all the fringe benefits of having Apple around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it was like w- mostly like well-to-do Asian families mm-hmm. um, who a um, lot of my friends' parents um, were software engineer types, okay. you know, working in tech. Um, and uh, it, was, it was like really impressed on us from a young age that education was like the most important thing. Um, these schools are like, just they're nationally ranked schools yeah, um, yeah. that I went to. And um, it was really just kind of an intense, very academically driven environment yeah. um, where like bis- basically the biggest part of um, doing anything like extracurricular yeah. would be centered around music, mm-hmm. um, like playing an instrument really well. And we're not talking like, you know, cool <laughs> instruments necessarily. Yeah, I'm you know, sure like not the, the drums or anything like, anything that. like that. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like yeah. it's like all like the violin or the piano or something. But, sure. Um, but I dabbled in like, I was like playing the flute for about five or six years. I mostly was in band from mm-hmm. like middle school to high school. Yeah. Um, and then I and then I started dabbling in some low brass instruments. Mm-hmm. So played the euphonium for a couple of years and the trombone for like about a year. Um, did marching band, all of that. Just mostly was music. And then in college, um, got reacquainted with performance. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, like I'm, and my, my whole trajectory, you know, I, when I think about how I fell into acting versus um, what I was doing um, before, mostly, mm-hmm. was um, I, I knew since 10th grade I wanted to be a speech and language pathologist. Oh, okay. Um, and this was informed from um, having a brother with autism, of course. Mm-hmm. And so I would, see, I, would, I, would, I would see that from, like, a very young age, accompanying my mom to his speech therapy sessions and being like, oh, this looks really interesting because yeah. – you know, we're seeing like my brother and not knowing how to communicate with him, and then see, and slowly seeing how mm-hmm. that can that can be built. Can, can he articulate? Can he speak? Yes, yeah, he can. He can talk. Um, it's mostly just kind of like rote phrases, though. Okay. You know, I mean, sure. Yeah, he, and you, and he's he's a wonderful conversationalist. Like yeah. if you're just talking about niceties and on the surface things, yeah. But you know, you can't get into an intellectual conversation necessarily. I understand. Yeah. I understand. I've I've had some friends of mine. I had an aunt who um, I'm not sure what her the backstory was, but I think she she may have been dropped as a child, and so there okay. were some learning disabilities. Yeah. She raised me. I mean, you know, she, she was functioning enough that she could take care of little kids. Mm. But as far as high-functioning things like driving or, you know, really handling a lot of stress, she could not do that at all. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that may be different than your brother, but. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, it's the same realm. And, sure. And what I do um, as part of my day job is, like, work with a lot of people with special needs. Sure. Um, um, right now, mostly based in the schools, but I also do um, some contracting work on the side where I work with adults who've had strokes, mm-hmm. traumatic brain injuries. Yeah. Um, so it was um, for about good six years, right? So like undergrad, and then I went to graduate school for about a couple of years. So it's about six years of really studying the science of communication. Mm-hmm. And um, once I started saying yes to my theater life, it's like now I'm pursuing like the art of communication. You know, you know what's interesting? When I went to school, uh, we had speech. Um, I don't even know if it compares with speech pathology or whatever, but we had, uh, I remember a, a professor of mine, John Sperry, and he was a, uh, he talked about uh, just, 
you know, the articulators, the resonators, and how um, just good, um, I guess, the 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 science of speech can really, you know, resonate within, you know, like even just how you express yourself, how you say a particular word. And also doing a little bit of voice acting, um, how that can, does that compare with speech pathology? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of overlap. Yeah, Yeah. even even in my acting classes, I see a lot of the speech pathology um, pedagogy Mm -hmm. come up, right? It's like, how do we over-articulate a sound, you know? Sure. like articulation one-on-one, like people are talking about like diphthongs and, you know, like sure. that sort of thing. And sure. how to um, put bring your mouth more forward for like... Bilabial consonants. Yeah, and, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah all of that. All, I mean, it all gets talked about. Yeah. You know, and voicing and devoicing and, you know, all of these sort of yeah. mechanics, basically, of speech. I feel like that really informs a lot of um, the craft. Sure. And how it, it articulates to the audience. I mean, you know, it's it's... It's also interesting because I work in the DA's office. I don't know if I told you this, but I work as a paralegal for the uh, San Francisco District Attorney's oh, Office. Yeah. And so I hear a lot of interviews, yeah. especially with defendants or whatever, and there's a sort of science in how our investigators talk to defendants hmm. using soft tones to, you know, to sort of relax them using sort of, you know, assertive tones, maybe using your uh, the mask resonator mm. to cut through and that sort of stuff. That's fascinating. And I, I, this is – we can totally talk about this some <laughs> other time. But, like, I mean, you also can get into, like, the, the cultural implications, right, of, um, of how you articulate. Yes. And how people start judging you yes. based on how you talk, right? Yes, yes. And accents, for example, dialects, oh, sure. right? Uh, and oh, yeah. So, um, that is actually like if I had pursued my doctorate in this, that would have been like the thing that I'm really interested in just talking about. Yeah, and it yeah. also gets into sociology, which is another thing that I took, oh, yeah. which gets into language and social and classes with language, that sort of stuff. You you can't escape the two. If you want to serve the, if you want to serve someone, um, a- anyone, right, who has like maybe a communicative. Um, Mm-hmm. setback or disability or you, you know what or maybe not even like a disability it's just just trying to understand them or meet them at their level you have to always include um that that cultural that that like layered cultural piece sure, you know sure. and oh, yeah. understand where that comes from the gra- so i went to columbia for my grad program wow in new york yes yeah awesome. and so I, I got a chance to like you know be out in new york for a while too yeah. just it's actually like my favorite place in the world yeah. but um, but all my family's out here, which is why I'm based here. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there, that program that I went to was really um, set on distinguishing cultural um, difference, mm-hmm. right, like or, or communicative difference from communicative disability. Mm-hmm. Because what happens often, right, is like especially, um, I mean, you see like a lot of black students who get mistakenly put into special education, mm. you know, or even like or immigrant kids, right? Sure. When it's really, you know, they might, uh, I mean, especially for, for immigrant children specifically, it's yeah. because they haven't been taught English yet. It's not yeah. because, like, they have a disability. Yeah. And then for, for black students, you have to consider, like, you know, they come in from, like, a totally different cultural context. Sure. So, um, you know, the fact that they're going to say F for TH, yeah. that's not a disorder. Yeah. That is a cultural difference. Sure. You know, and what and to come in with that framework is super, super important in the line of work as a speech therapist. You know, it's interesting. I was talking yesterday, so I had a friend of mine who was doing Lady Macbeth. We were doing um we were doing monologues, Shakespearean monologues. And of course, all of us kids, you know, Washington DC if you haven't been there, 
it's also it's the nation's capital, but it's also the Chocolate City, mm-hmm. and so uh, and there's a, a strong black community, and yes. there's a whole history behind that. And so a lot of us spoke with Southern accents, and of course we are particular t- articulating ths with f's and mm-hmm. and whatever. And the teacher was constantly getting on her because you know she was doing the out damn spot out. Okay. I say, and it wasn't that she was ignorant or anything or like that is just that this was our language this is the way that we spoke exactly yeah. and yeah i mean this idea of like code switching even it's like if we could just eliminate That's those right. ideas yeah. right and yeah. we just speak exactly as we are and meet each other exactly as they are mm-hmm. Be- and you know it's it's important for me to kind of um still stay within the realm of speech pathology even even as i'm pursuing you mm-hmm. know theater um because right even right now in 2019 the field is is like ninety three percent white. Oh, you know, that's not good. No, it's not. And because they also, I mean, you got to look at who are they letting? Who are the gatekeepers of these graduate programs? They're not letting in um, more POCs into these programs. Sure. You know, who can serve the, the the speakers of their own communities? Yeah. You know, and they need to have that. I think it's so important to kind of be, just be a face to that. So. Yeah, and I do wonder what outreach is there to let people know, hey, this is a program that you can get into. This yes. is an opportunity. You know, no one's going to apply for it if you don't know that it that it exists. Mm-hmm. Or that could be, um, you know, an outlet, um, an avenue to go. Yeah. Also, one, one last, uh, before we get further. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what's so funny, Red? I have to just have to say, like, everything that we're talking about, like, yeah. even like when we're talking about current events or even right now, like, yeah. ev- we just realize everything is political. And everything is racial. Like you just can't freaking <laughs> escape it, you know. Well, and it's <laughs> it's the yin and the yang of yeah. I don't know, it may be just America or what have you. But um, no, what's interesting is I was in a speech class and we were talking about, um, you know, I I've had speech class in when I was in high school in Duke Ellington School of the Arts and wow. even in NYU, uh-huh. and I realized there were roles that I wanted to go out for, um, and I wouldn't get it because I sounded not black enough, uh, if you know what I mean. Makes me so freaking angry. And it's like, wow, you know, um, can you slang it up a bit? Can you black right. it up a bit? And I'm like, wow, you know, I did right. all of this training, and now it's at a disservice to me because I don't sound like my own culture. And um, it was sort of a blow to me, and I mm-hmm. think it's something to be careful of for those who say, wow, I have to learn what they call the standard American English. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've heard that term before. Oh, no, yeah, that's, that's tossed around, yeah. Yeah, like a, like a news, if you wanted to get into news reporting, mm-hmm. you know, you had to have the perfect, yes. no matter what culture, what background you come from. Right, yes. News reporter English, basically, yeah. from the Midwest. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, for sure. That, um, And, of course, you know, like, you know, it's like, can you say it in your little ching-chong accent or whatever, you know, for Asians? It's like right. you've got to... Yeah, I'm rolling my eyes right now. <laughs> <laughs> Look, yeah. Let's get into the training. Uh, well, first of all, what brought you to the Bay? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, so I was born and raised here, and so then... Um, well, you came from Cupertino, and eventually you resided, you're residing here now. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Cupertino's like an hour or hour-ish away. Um, I went to undergrad um, up in Stockton, mm-hmm. um, studying speech pathology, so I could also be close by to my mom. And then... Um, it just my my interests um, really kind of expanded. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't just about studying speech pathology anymore. Again, I was doing a lot of performance mm-hmm. um, in college. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, and getting really involved in you know just like the ideas of like social justice. Like you were mentioning sociology earlier. Like yeah. I was taking a lot of social classes and as, as well like ethnic studies classes, English, and just like expanding like my worldview through um, a, a really it was like a really robust 
and um, holistic education that I received at that UOP. Even mm. if I would, I do have to say, like, you know, maybe I didn't connect with, like, it was, like, a predominantly, like, white school and mm. a lot of, like, have big sorority presence and things like oh, that. Yes, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. So that doesn't really, like, resonate with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was great because I, uh, because the class sizes were so small, I could kind of get involved um, mm-hmm. in a lot of different things. Also be close by home. And then just kind of applied to various grad programs, um, got into Columbia's, and so went out there, um, studied, finished out my my speech pathology um, master's degree, because you need to have your master's in order to practice, Mm -hmm. Um, and then moved back um, home for family circumstances. Lived at home for about three years, just helping my mom take care of uh, my brother. Sure. um, And I was really just kind of building my career as a speech pathologist um, within those three years. So... This was um, in 2010 to 2013, where I was kind of living at ho- at home in mm-hmm. San Jose, doing my thing. Mm-hmm. And then um, I met my then I met my life partner um, here, just freaking crapshoot of OKCupid, okay you know. Oh, <laughs> I mean, is that yeah. right? Okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's like yeah. so. Like I mean, I'd been on is that inv- for a while. Is he involved in the arts at all? Um, yeah. Well, he's um, he is a the design director at Patreon, actually. Oh, yes. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Right so on. I'm interested in what. Um, so you didn't start teaching. You said that you had some roles when you were in college. Did you study yeah. theater in college at all? Did you um, have any well, classes? Yeah, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I, di- I didn't get um, a degree in it. But yes, I was like always doing theater. Okay. So um, was cast in a play. There were like about uh, my freshman year. There were about four of us, and I was like the only freshman who got cast. So that was enough, like that was like a pretty validating experience. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to be like, oh, okay, well, I can do this, and then yeah. What show was that? Um, it's called Simply the Thing She Is. It was like a new play. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, I don't remember the playwright's name. Yeah. Um, but um, directed by Gary R. McNack, who um, he d- he did like a lot of like Shakespeare stuff, like mm-hmm. um, kind of in the PNW and like around here as well. Sure. Um, but now based um at Pacific, and I think he's, he still teaches there. Cool. Um, and uh, was involved in like like every college production has vagina monologues and so yeah, <laughs> like yeah, doing yeah. that, you yeah. know. Um, and then um, I was even in a play at Columbia, um, Last Days of Judas Iscariot. Wow. Yeah. And Very I, nice. Yes. And I played uh, St. Monica in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was in grad school while I could manage. And then it just got really intense and I had to kind of just do the speech therapy thing for a while. Yeah. So, yes. But it sounds like it spoke to you. It sounded like, you know, you could have just said, okay, I'm into the speech pathology, but there was something about theater that that kept you engaged, I guess. That's right, Reg, yeah. So what had happened was, like, it was something I'd always thought I needed to do on the periphery. Yeah. Especially, like, because not even just the, of, of, like, the cultural upbringing of things, for me, it was, like, a personal thing because my mom, like, really needed um, – I, I, I think my mom really just needed me to kind of do something, like, real professional. And it's, it's, okay. it's important for me to, to honor that, right? Oh, sure, yeah, sure. Especially because um, I've – and especially like within the first three years of me being a speech therapist, I was the one that was mostly financially supporting her. Got it. Yeah, she works at the post office part time, but yeah, like, you know, it was it was me kind of like helping out mostly with that. And then mm-hmm. finally, like in 2013, my other brother Brian, um, he was about to graduate from his um, from his uh, computer science program. He went to Stanford, so he's like a super brain. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. cool. And uh, and he was just like, you know, like I think that. You know, if you want to go and do your own thing, I can kind of financially kind of support mom for a while. Mm. Yeah. And so you can kind of see, like, it's like a real, like, village. Family yeah. teamwork. That's No, that's wonderful. Yes, for sure. Yeah. yeah. We're all co-conservators for my brother. You know, and everything's kind of centered around, like, it, it, everything's really kind of centered around Michael, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. just 
who I am as a person really as well. And so yeah. I was like, okay, well, um, I'm going to move out to Berkeley. You know, what, yeah. around that same time, met my partner and um, we, we moved in together into a little condo um, in Berkeley. It's like mm-hmm. the border of Berkeley and, and Oakland. I mostly identify with Oakland, honestly. Sure, yeah, sure. But, yeah, yeah. Because um, it's like in South Berkeley. Yeah. And then that's how I got enrolled into Berkeley Web classes. I was yeah. just like, you know, I want to just – I just want to kind of start living life on my own terms again yeah. and revisit the things that gave me joy. Cool. So it was in 2013 that um, I took my first Berkeley Rec class. Mm-hmm. It was intermediate acting with Marvin Green. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I'm really interested because we were talking off mic about some of the techniques. Yes. Of, and so I'm, def- I'm definitely would love to hear about that. Yeah, sure. Want yeah. to get into that right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Okay, great. Yeah, so – so about six. So it was for about six years, um, I was taking mostly scene study based classes. Mm-hmm. Um, after Marvin Green, um, started taking a lot of classes with James Wagner, um, who he taught like a Sam Shepard class okay. and a lot of contemporary like new plays mm-hmm. um, and doing scene work from that. And um, that that just kind of really helped um, with. I mean, you know, you just keep taking classes as you as you might know, right? Sure. Just, yeah. Yeah. You're just constantly in it. And yeah. And then um, it started kind of expanding. Like, there there were some classes that like where they integrated like Alexander um, Stanislavski, mm-hmm. you know, a technique. Um, just kind of taking everything. And then I got to this point where I was like, I am just all I'm doing is just taking classes. I feel like I'm just hiding in classes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and what had happened was um, Lauren English Clark. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was teaching an auditioning class at Berkeley Rep, and I had no idea who she was. You know, and. Mm-hmm. Um, it was through that class where I was like, okay, like maybe if I'm if I find myself in an auditioning class, then and that must mean it, it's kind of weird because like your body kind of I don't even know what I'm trying to say. It's like your body kind of knows to like go to these things, but sure. like you know, but my mind was not like totally clear on it. I was just like, oh well, I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, kind of get into like autopilot mode in a way. You sure. Know? Yeah. It's like this is just the next thing I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I took this auditioning class and I it was so instructive and helpful, but like. I was kind of like, okay, well, when I'm ready, you know, I was mm-hmm. still like left with thinking like, I'll just do it when I'm ready. Yeah. Then what happened last year was mm-hmm. um, she invited me to come in and audition for a play mm-hmm. um, that she was, um, she was, I think, directing or custom made Good, Better, Best, Bested by Jonathan Spector, mm-hmm. who I know is, is a pretty prolific playwright. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so, um, so I was like, whoa, like here she is reaching out like a year later and mm-hmm. I just had taken this one class with her. So then I was kind of like panicking because I was like, oh my gosh, it's my first like real audition or mm-hmm. whatever. And then I, did, I auditioned for her and, um, I, and I didn't get it, which is totally fine. Mm-hmm. But what that did was that kind of set me off into like, what would it look like if I were to just audition? Yeah. You know, it just needed, it just needed that one extra step, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm so grateful to her for that. Right. Because mm-hmm. she remembered me from this class yeah. that I'd taken like a year like prior and mm-hmm. I would have I wonder how long I would have just been stuck yeah you know just being like I don't think I'm ready yeah but she kind of like forced me no that's awesome you know it's interesting as you were talking because you told me before Mike because I'd seen you in uh, Olivia's kitchen and you had told me that was I think that was your first production outside of school is well, that right? it was actually my first Shakespeare production. Okay, got yes, it. Yes, um, but that was maybe my third production with Generation Theater. Got it. And so um, so what had happened was like shortly – so now we're like in summer of 2018, right, is when I kind of was like, yes, I'm going to start auditioning. Yeah. You know? And 
and then in conjunction with that found Barrow Group. Okay. Um, this Barrow Group method that was taught by an amazing – Great. I'm glad yes. we're going to talk about this. Yes. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, like coach, mentor, friend, um, just – she's become everything in yeah. a way. Um, Allison Rudder. Yeah. It's, a, it's an adaptation of the method acting where you get in, in, enveloped in the character – um, not not quite. Okay. What it does is it it, it basically short circuits effort. Okay. I, I can't speak to method acting. I don't know really anything about sure, it. But, sure. Sure. Um, so maybe if there are, is some overlap, then yeah, you know, we, we someone else can glean from that. But sure. What I can speak to is that you it comes from doing acting from. Um, from the most real place possible. It's not even about, like, you know, sometimes you hear from instructors, like, you got to show it, not tell it. Yeah. Well, it's, like, beyond just showing and telling. This just teaches you to just do it. Yeah. You know? Um, and it also gets you p- performing from a place where it feels super natural mm-hmm. um, and super relaxed. Yeah. And uh, there's, like, a whole slate of techniques that she goes through um, that can be applied to scene work. Mm-hmm. That just gets you performing from a real from a real place, and it doesn't even feel like you're performing. It's effortless. Yeah, that's why I compared it to method acting. Mm-hmm. My, what, from what I've learned is that the idea is that you, um, it becomes so real to you that it doesn't feel like acting at all, and you use techniques like sense memory to get you into a particular emotion or whatever. Or let's say you're doing a, a particular, uh, th- you, you may be doing a scene. And the director may say, fix a sandwich or fix a salad. Uh, you may not have all the materials, you know, right. and it may you may be doing a task that is impossible to fulfill. Mm-hmm. But it's more about getting so engaged and involved that you forget about the fact that you're doing, you know, that this is a script. Yeah. Or whatever, that, because you're so invested in what you're doing. Got it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's eliminating all those kind of ideas mm-hmm. about, like, backstory, um, like what what you're supposed to kind of supposed to go into the scene feeling like it mm-hmm. it it actually tells you to let go of all of those ideas and just do exactly what the page is telling you to do. Got it. And teaches you um, a very specific way to approach script analysis, and that's where it kind of starts. Mm-hmm. And then um, you inject these techniques that you don't even think are going to work because that's not how you're. It's not part of a typical pedagogy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the result is what. Um, you just have to kind of trust that all those ideas that you have are actually already in your system. Mm, you got know? It. And so yeah. then when you let go of that, yeah. um, it just ends up becoming more real. It's it's really remarkable to see, especially when you have I, – I, I'm in this class right now um, where it's for professional actors and this technique is being used. Mm-hmm. And um, it's incredible. It's some of the best – acting I've seen in the Bay Area, like when you see these professional actors, like they come in with all this training and then they're doing their scene and then you see like how the method can be applied and then it's it's, it's still really good, like the, both the first time and the second time, but the second time it's just done in a completely fresh way. Mm-hmm. And for them they're, when you ask them when you ask them how that felt or whatever, they're, they were just kind of like it didn't really feel like I was doing anything. And that's kind of, I think, the whole premise of it. So it's Yeah. So it's, I know it's difficult to kind of describe, but yeah. it's something. So this performance that you, that we got acquainted with uh-huh. from Olivia's Kitchen. That's, sure. I was really trying to inject a lot of the Barrow Group method as part of that role. Yeah. So I was going to ask you because yeah. when, when I had David Valere and um, Deborah Cortez. Yes, yes. Formerly known as Deborah Murphy. Yeah. on, They talked about Generation Theater and their way of 
doing the rehearsal process. The mm-hmm. rehearsal process takes a very, very long time. Yeah, it's every Sunday night um, right. across like several months. How is that? How is that for you? I mean, what is the method of David Valer's method of working with the actors? Um, it's uh, he, he gives us a lot of autonomy. Okay. Yeah, which is great. Um, and and also like he he gives us um, you know salient, clear like directions of like what he wants and mm-hmm. whatnot. But it's really laid back. Okay. Um, and uh, like yeah, I remember like we just kind of perform um, or like rehearse out of this um, house that's mm-hmm. like. It's like the French Alliance. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, the French Alliance is like, it's inside like this like Berkeley house. And mm-hmm. um, and that's where we would just do the rehearsals um, mm-hmm. out of like this living room space in a way. And then translate it over into, um, you know, into Southside Theater, which is yeah. right across from Magic Theater. I'm yeah. Producing. Yeah. Yeah, I was saying off mic that when I saw your performance, I, I came because I wanted to see Deborah because, you know, I've been acquainted with her. Right. And she was graceful enough to be on the Yay podcast and also the I'm an American, too, oh, cool. to hear her coming from, I believe, Brazil, coming to the United States and he- hearing her story. Yeah. Or it but, might be Peru. You know, I think you're right. It yes, is okay, Peru. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for correcting Yeah, yeah, me. no problem. But in any case, seeing you, and I described it as there's so many really um, – Eccentric characters surrounding this one person uh, who is you, who played Viola, who is a, uh, you know, you were shipwrecked from your brother. Yes. And then, you know, you pretend to be a man. And, of course, it becomes <laughs> madcap comedy in the Shakespearean way. But there is such seriousness and serenity and purity with your, uh, with the way you handled your role. It seemed as if all of the characters were sort of surrounded or, like, orbiting around you. Yeah. Well, I mean, that also is a testament to, like, how well written it was mm-hmm. just from Shakespeare, right? Of that course, was, like, of course. That's just – that was his intention, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of like a dream role as well, right, to yeah. like, be playing that character because um, she was the one who had, like, her druthers the, the entire time, and she – she was totally heartbroken, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just she was mourning the whole time, thinking yeah. that she's never going to see her brother again. And yeah. so trying to really embody that th- those stakes, right? Yeah. So it's funny as I'm saying like, oh, yeah, like I, I wanted to like channel all of that. But I also be- – because of Barrow Group Method, it's like you got to like let it go as well, you know? Right, of course. Yeah. Yeah, you can't be too serious, I would take – because it is a comedy. Right. And there is such – I mean, it's not like madcap comedy like mm-hmm. what you're doing now in Sister Act. <laughs> but there is a sense of seriousness where – you're not playing for laughs. Yeah. These are based on real events and real uh, sort of, you know, people not being on the same page. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, you're trying to appeal to Olivia. Oh, no, she's in love with you. Whoops. Right. How do I address this? Right. And it's comedy for the audience, but it's serious to the actor. Right. Or yeah. the character, I should say. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it was um, – thank you so much, though, for, for your compliments surrounding that because, yeah, I was just trying to be truthful to the character and mm-hmm. to, you know, the circumstances at hand and – I'm glad that the performance resonated with someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now you were telling us about um, Sister Act, so, you know, getting involved. I mean, <coughs> musical theater is not really your thing, but you got involved anyway. I did, yes. Um, yeah. I, again, it was – I had no idea, right? I was just trying to do everything, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially because I was auditioning um, last summer, and I was like, okay – Let's just um, let's just see what uh, let's just see what's out there. I sure. joined and you know those like Facebook groups that they have. Like, oh yeah. The, I was going to ask, do you do the TBA generals? I did do that. Okay. Yes, yeah. And so um, I did that because of um, the Atlas program. So yeah. I um, applied for that and was part of that cohort this year as mm-hmm. well. Um, 
And um, what's been great is I've, I've been receiving some validation kind of quickly, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it's really kind of baffling to me, like, considering, like, who I got connected with and mm-hmm. what has happened since. Um, I just started saying yes to auditioning over the summer. One of the first auditions I went on was with Killing My Lobster. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that around that same time, they were accepting applicants for their um, um, comedy in diversity in comedy fellowship yeah. is what, what it was. So it's mm-hmm. like they, they select three actors and three writers mm-hmm. um, and uh, to, to kind of sponsor in a way for the year. Mm-hmm. And then it'll be uh, 14 weeks of classes that um, you get to take for free and then a guaranteed placement um, in their show. Mm-hmm. So um, I became one of the recipients for that. Awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. And so that was like um, one of the most exciting things that mm-hmm. I've, I've kind of had so far. Um, shortly after that, got involved with um, Crowded Fire's audition intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, Mina Morita and Graham Smith were running that audition intensive. Mm-hmm. So they got to know, um, I did like a mock audition for them, which is kind of like how it was set up. Mm-hmm. Um, me and like um, maybe 11, 12 other artists. Mm-hmm. And um, ever since I've gotten, gotten connected with them, it's it's kind of opened things up, you know. Um, Mina invited me to do um, a reading with her at Magic Theater in December. Fantastic. Fantastic. So I was um, was part of this reading for A Man of God by Anna Munch. um, Mm -hmm. And uh, that that just kind of opened up more doors. Someone Mm -hmm. from the reading there, um, Michelle Talgaro, who um, is associated with Shotgun and a lot of other um, Mm -hmm. theater companies. Um, it was through her and also Chuck Laxon, who was part of the... I've heard that name. Yeah. He As a matter of fact, uh, Bindlestiff. He's yes. a Philippine, Philippine artist. Uh, yeah, yes, Chuck, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he might have, like, founded it, or I'm not quite sure. Yeah. He's, he's one of the founders, yes, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so they both got me connected with Jeffrey Lowe, and uh-huh. then Jeffrey Lowe um, invited me to be a part of the Cherry Orchard reading at Shotgun. Oh, that'd be fantastic, yeah. Yeah, so, that, so, that, so I already did that in January. Yeah. Yeah, and then, um, so it's like... You know, it's amazing because that was just like a few months in, in a way. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a testament of how good you are, and it's a testament of how wonderful theater is, where it's about collaboration. It's it about really is, connecting yeah. with one individual, and all of a sudden doors are opened, and, um, you know, that that's the way it is. I mean, theater cannot exist if we don't, you know, collaborate with each other to help, you know, accentuate each other's dreams. For sure. And yeah. I'm, I'm learning that maybe first and foremost, you know. Is yeah. There is so much rich theater out here, yeah. and especially with like new play development, it's mm-hmm. a, it's an extremely exciting hub to be in. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it's I don't know. I just feel grateful. I guess. Like mm-hmm. I mean, I, I haven't had a a rich career so far in theater, mm-hmm. but it's, it's kind of giving me um, a lot of validation in that I this is where I need to be, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and excited to see what will be in store. Speaking of which, where do you, I mean, um, you know, we ask a lot of, and we had Angelo on yesterday, and we talked about the actor looking at him or herself as a business. In other words, um, there's a point where you're like, okay, well, I'm not taking this amount of money. I need to think about, you know, negotiating and bargaining and that sort of stuff. You may not be at that position right now, Mm -hmm. but where do you see yourself? Where do you want to be in five years? Do you want to go to New York? Do you want to go to Hollywood? Do you want to... um, where, where do you see yourself oh, if you had to close your eyes and think oh about man, it? such a good question. Um, <laughs> um, I I guess I imagine myself mostly being based here. I mean, it's I I love the community that um, mm-hmm. I'm building and 
getting connected with. My family's out here as well. Um, I'm interested in seeking what film might look like. I'm interested in pro producing or creating my own work as well. Do you have thought? Do you have uh, stories that you want to? Oh yeah. Oh, I okay. mean yeah, and it's I, I, and that I didn't even think that that was like a, another like viable option for me as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like before it was like all right, I'm just going to make a go of the acting thing, and now like I'm seeing that it's I'm feeling so much more agency to just pr maybe consider producing my own work or mm -hmm. I, I do have these stories that I would love to share and maybe doing more like solo performance work who knows you mm -hmm. know maybe write my own thing it's yeah. it's like in me having said yes to a uh, to my theater life yeah it's kind of opened up um, it's kind of cracked open this whole other like realm you know sure, of other sure. art forms in a way yeah. and just seeing and, and also just it's inextricably linked to who I am as a person, yeah. you know? So much of this right now that I'm trying to figure out is how do I, how do I still stay Joyce, right? Sure, because sure. there, I do feel like there's, if I'm looking at like the whole arc of things, it, it, w it was like me saying yes to theater was like in 2018, yeah. you know? And so how do I merge like this whole other side mm -hmm. of, of who I was as a person, yeah. you know, who was primarily a speech pathologist, mm -hmm. Um, into and, and merging that as as a theater artist, right? And it's it's been wild. I, I also feel like you know it's not going to be long before I kind of just figure out like that 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 just happy marriage of both. Yeah. Because as I was saying before, it's like I I did study like the science of communication for so long, and there were I mean it's also an art form to be a speech therapist as well, but how we integrate that more. Um, Th through theater, um, through performance, mm -hmm. through writing, through, through art, right? It's, yeah. Um, it's an exciting frontier to kind of venture into that I've got no idea what it really holds for me. Mm -hmm. But so far, it's been just really affirming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the more... The more you get yourself out there, the more opportunities and doors will open and the more, you know, options you have. And so that's a wonderful thing. And I've, I, th I think the one thing that I would press upon young actors or whatever, you right. know, the quicker you can take the, the realms. Because there have been times where I've just come out of school and it's like, hey, I just, I'm just hungry. I just want to work, 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 mm -hmm. work. And you get offers, you get jobs or whatever, and uh, things are wonderful. But you find yourself almost very quickly saying, wow, I'm I'm – Articulating, or I'm working on other people's projects and telling other people's stories. What about my story? You're, you're making me wave my hands right now. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. no, 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 that, that's exactly right. <clears throat> you may not be there yet. No, well, I mean, but I'm, I already am. Like it, that, that's what's percolating for me right now. Yeah. I mean, I just I, I couldn't really find the words for it. I guess, but that's that's kind of what it how it feels like for me is yeah. Um, seeing so much work now because part of saying yes to theater it also means that I have gone and seen so many more shows, gotten mm -hmm. more acquainted with. All of these, all of the theater that's happening, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's making me realize, like, I can totally tell these stories too, and I, I, I believe I can. Yeah. And um, sometimes, you know, it, it does make you kind of consider: Do I just keep saying yes for the sake of saying yes, or do I, or, or do I really want to consider quality here? And I'm someone who it, quality is very important to me. That having integrity. Mm -hmm. Um, real consideration, you know, for the things that I say yes to. Sure. And and, and this is the thing that I actually I, I would love to actually even get your advice on, you know, where it's do, do I 
do I just say yes to everything right now because I'm so early on and, and build that or and compromise like, you know, integrity in a way just to get something on the resume or do I just hone in on the fact that like this needs to speak to who I am as a person and, and my values and be more choosy even if it's early on? Yeah, that's, you know, I... Of course, you're going to get advice from other individuals. I remember uh, being at, at um, Duke Ellington School of the Arts, and uh -huh. of course, we're all black kids, and our teachers were very quick to tell us, listen, you know, be very careful of the roles that you take, because it's wonderful to say yes to everything mm -hmm. and get paid, mm -hmm. but if you represent something that you're not proud of, or you later on, you may say, oh, gee, why did I do that? Mm -hmm. um, that's on you. I remember, um, so I, one of the roles that I took at the Douglas Morrison Theater was a play called Grey Gardens, which is actually really wonderful, beautiful musical. Oh, I, I know this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's also a Rufus Wainwright song called yeah. Grey Gardens. Grey and, Gardens, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. But in any case, I played a butler. Oh, and, uh, yeah. and of course, being a playing butler is not really the greatest role. Uh, it was actually tastefully done. It was tastefully written. Uh, and I found a way to make the role more multidimensional. Mm -hmm. uh, it was directed by, I think, Nancy Ingle. No, Mike, Michael Riken. Mm -hmm. But in any case, I said to myself, okay, this was okay, and this got me in the door of Douglas Morrison Theater. And of course, it allowed me to sow seeds where I can finally do my own production foreman in Paris mm -hmm. at the Douglas Morrison. That's one of the reasons why it's important to get involved in different organizations because you never know what doors will open. Right. But I said to myself, that's it. I'm not playing the butler anymore. That's right. I, I've, I've got to, you know, this I've got to shut the door. But only you can make that decision. It's important as an actor to fill your resume, and that's why I got involved with a, a theater company like you're involved in Killing Your Lob Killing My Lobster, mm -hmm. which allows you to fill up your resume. And I think that you did three shows with Generation Theater, mm -hmm. so that fills up your resume. So yes. that's fine. That's something that a director can say. Okay, well, this person is seasoned. Mm -hmm. This person has worked and whatever. So. Now you can start being choosy. It's an hour seventeen. Oh, uh, we okay. can we can sort of wrap it up, but yeah, I mean yeah. uh, it's it's been a lot of uh, fun. I will. Uh, so there are we did birthdays yesterday, so I don't think I need to <laughs> do birthdays again. But there are a couple of shows that we want to uh, talk about. Sister Act, of course, we want to push that. That's at Theater Rhino. It's actually playing at the Gateway Theater. Uh, formerly the Eureka Theater, uh, 215 Jackson Street. That's right. If I remember correctly. Yeah, it's, it's, it was my, my old stomping ground. <laughs> I've done so many shows there. Uh, in any case, uh, it opened May the 17th. That was two days ago, and it ends June the 1st. That's right, yes. Um, also, uh, playing at Central Works. I don't know if you've ever worked at Central Works before. I have not. Uh, not yet. Yes. <laughs> uh, the Victorian Ladies Detectives Collective uh, will be playing... Um, it actually opened May the 4th, and it closes June the 2nd. Alan Coyne is in the show, and Gary Graves is directing the show. Both of them were uh, on the yay as guests. Um, also, the Town Hall Theater, uh, that's the show that I'm currently uh, in tech for. Great. Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. It's a wonderful madcap musical. Um, that opens May the 30th, uh, and it closes June the 22nd. And my next guest is Don Monique Williams, and she will be here Friday. Uh, she's the director of the show, and she's actually the new artistic director of Aurora Theater. So amazing. So uh, it'll be great to talk to her. Uh, Melvin Badiola is in the show, along with Deb Carragher and myself, and a bunch of other great actors. Um, also, Off-Broadway West is having Bakersfield Mist. Uh, it's a wonderful play. That's um, That opened May the 3rd, and it closes June the 1st. Richard Harder, he was a guest on the show, as well as his wife. Um, 
he will be directing. He is directing the show. So I wanted to get that out there. And um, Joyce, did you have a wonderful time? Oh, yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> Reg, you, you really know how to put people at ease. Yes. Well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. And thank you for coming out on a wonderful Sunday. You know, um, we wanted to get you on a little bit earlier, but, you know, we had some scheduling things. But it's always great to have you. And we had a wonderful conversation. We sure did. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks very much for the opportunity. Uh, we're happy to... Happy to promote Sister Act as well. Well, I have to be at the theater in like the next uh, hour or so. <laughs> so oh, that's right. Yes. You have rehearsal, don't you? No, oh, you yeah, have a show. Yeah, it's opening tonight. Yeah, so please come out and see it, everybody. It's going to be incredible. Brandon Noel Thomas is an incredible Dolores. Um, it's tender and entertaining, and some and people have already seen it twice, <laughs> and we've only done about three performances so far. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and, and, and it just also is like a true representation of, of San Francisco. This is San Francisco's sister act. Absolutely. And yes. No other version. Yeah. No, absolutely. Go ahead and check it out. Theodorano is doing a wonderful performance, uh, sh- uh, showing of sister act. So come on out and see it. It's rollicking, uh, rollicking good fun. <laughs> all right. So uh, you can find the A on the Apple Podcast app on all iPhones and iPads. Really, any app that you listen to your podcast, you can listen to the A. Of course, you're listening to it now, but tell your friends. Uh, if you listen to your podcast on a desktop or a laptop, you can listen to the Yay on iTunes. Just click on iTunes, click on Store, use the search engine on the upper right-hand side, and search for the Yay. You'll find us. For Android users, download the SoundCloud app or just go on SoundCloud.com, and you will find us. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram. Um, I'm, on, I'm at Reg Space Clay. Norman is at Hoosier Hoosier. Joyce, do you have a uh, do you do the Instagram, Snapchat stuff? Yeah, Twitter? you can. Well, you can find me at Popsicle Toes. So it's P O P S I K L E T O E S. Someone took the C. So, yeah, um, Popsicle Toes with the K. <laughs> nice. Yes. And and that's on uh, Twitter. Um, actually, that's on Instagram, and then I've got my Facebook. Uh, face, Facebook is um, Joyce DeMonica Love. You can okay. find me that way. Absolutely, yes. If you're looking for an actress, um, a fantastic actress who has a great poise and, uh, you know, knows her stuff, by all means, I'll reach out to her. Thank you. I'll get a website up soon. So absolutely. So promo about those sort of things. But thank you so much again for the opportunity. Sure, absolutely. And uh, as Norman and I would always say, we've got to find a better sign-off. And we are out. Thank you.